ever said, Bob, you're right? Like maybe once or twice? Metacast. I'm Josh Anderson. Oh, you were recording. Oh. Yes. Oh, hello, Metacasters, and I'm Bob Galen. Welcome. We are recording. In beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina. That's correct. By the lake. Uh, let's paint a picture for Ooh. the Metacasters, Josh. In a room with four walls. In a beautiful walls. room with uh, four walls, maybe four and a quarter, uh, sitting at a, uh, a command console that looks like it came from the Starship Enterprise. And Josh is in command of this Metacast, at least from a technology <laughs> perspective. That's yeah. our only hope. It's sunny it's out. It's sunny it out. It's sunny out. It's sunny out. Yeah. Summer. Uh, North Bob Carolina. still has his sunglasses on. It's so sunny. I, I do. It's it's because I Josh just Josh just is always beaming, and, <laughs> and I, I need the even inside. So oh, where are we? So so gosh. So I, I you know. It, we must have a Metacast in store for you, for everyone today, because I'm buttering up Josh, so there must be a, a method to my madness. So why would I, you're asking yourself, why in the hell are you buttering up Josh? You must have a really contentious topic today. And the answer is, Josh? Yes, we do. We do? We do. What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the concept of hardening sprints and release planning. And Do you even understand the concept of a hardening sprint? Can you even comprehend <laughs> it, Grasshopper? Wow, it, so it begins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do uh, I do understand the waste that is a hardening sprint. The, the waste like W-A-I-S-T or <laughs> no. no? The other one. <laughs> so, well, why don't you start then? All right. So your position is, let's just get it clear out there. Yeah. I'm pro hardening sprint uh, in context. So I don't shy away from them. I don't run away thinking these are the, the worst things from a lean waste perspective, mm-hmm. uh, using your term. Uh, I don't run away from them thinking, oh my God, these things are atrocious in all cases. Uh, and you and I have debated. We, we said yesterday, this, this topic came up yesterday. I thought we had talked about this on a Metacast, but I think you're right that we never really have. And you've been anti, you're really against hardening sprints. You've consistently been against hardening sprints for a long, long time. I have. So why? So I view it as an easy out that if you're really producing done quality stuff, if you have a solid definition of done and you're actually adhering to that in each sprint, there should be very little value needed to a hardening sprint. Now, I do understand that it's often, and from what you've explained and the ways I've seen it before, it's often just before release. And there are some release activities that have to happen. To me, those are just other stories that are baked in, like, hey, we're going to release this sprint. So we have, we have a handful of release stories we have to do. Like at my last job, it was a mobile shop. So submitting to Apple and Google and Amazon while we had automated that, it's still, somebody had to pay attention to it, and it took some amount of time of someone's brain power to push the button and pay attention to it. But it was those types of things that we got to the point where, now we had to have a hardening period, but 
No, don't don't wa- no, no. waffle. No, no, and I'm getting there. But oh, okay. But it went away, right? So we okay. we we got to the point because we didn't have any automation at all. So we had to have this big testing effort at the end to validate everything that we had built and blah blah blah. Um, but we got to the point where, when the builds ran and the tests were green, that's it. We we pushed the button. We didn't have to do anything else. So one of the criteria that I heard you say is is that if you have no auto, or automation, there is an automation dependency in some in some contexts where if you have little to no automation, you may harden, and then you remove that hardening interval as you build up automation because the integration tests can be long and difficult and painful to do by hand. So I, I agree with that. I mean, I've, I've always said, I, I, and, and Metacasters will make a, when we post this, we'll make a, I've, I've done like a white paper or a, I've, I've done uh, a paper that talks about hardening and has cross posts about what other people think about it. Uh, the folks who are pro and the folks who are cons. Mm-hmm. And one of the, and, and I don't just look and say, we're going to harden for the next 18 years. That's not the right mindset. But what the mindset for hardening is what you said. Hardening is okay if you have to in the beginning, but you should relentlessly reduce it. Yeah. So I think the organization's goal should be every sprint, every release, can we make it shorter? Mm-hmm. Can we make it shorter to the point where can we remove it entirely? Yeah. Uh, now, it's really hard to take it to zero in my experience. And I mean zero. I mean no time whatsoever. Like So you end a sprint and you're working for NASA and you can push software mm-hmm. at the end of a sprint without anything. And it's a release. It's going to show up on what all the spacecraft mm-hmm. uh, at the same time. But that should be your goal. So you did you resonate with that? Is that sort of what you were saying there? Yeah, we, we tracked it. We started out at 30 points to release. So we tracked it. We you, actually would You tracked the hardening effort. We... We track the release effort. Or the, whatever you want to call it. Oh, in points, though. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. you wrote stories. Because those were just stories, right? No, so no, we said, hey, you. we have to do this manual testing. We hate it, but we have to do it. We have to do these builds. We hate it. So some of that was it. hardening activity. Right. And then, you hey, we it. have to submit the builds to Apple and everybody okay. else. And we hate it, but we have to do We haven't automated yet. So the goal was to just keep chopping away at it. And that's that's where, you're right, we... We never made it to zero. We were there a couple of years. We made a pretty big dent in it, but it kept getting shorter and shorter, and that's and that's the goal for me. Well, I remember Channel Advisor. So I brought hardening to Channel. You know, I, I sort of bring it. I don't bring it unintelligently. I'd like to think that, but I bring it to context. And we had multiple teams there. So very often, one of the requirements for for hardening is you have ten or fifteen teams. And it's like, how are we integrating, or how are we integrating the software? So there were like 15 teams there. And I remember we were hardening, and we had this goal of relentlessly reducing it, but it takes a lot of time. I mean, it's, it's a tr- it was there, it was a tremendous uh, continuous integration. So CI tools came into play, virtualization tools came into play, automation came into play, uh, and then I left. And then I, circled, I met someone from Channel Advisor not that long ago, and they had taken hardening down it was less than a day. Mm-hmm. It was like four, four hours. So they didn't know what to do with it since it was less than a day. Uh, so they relentlessly took it from two weeks to uh, four hours. Right. Uh, which I thought was out. I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then they were like in this really weird position of, you know, does it matter? You know, should we relentlessly reduce it to 30 seconds or 30 minutes? Or is it okay now? And not they, they weren't being lazy, right? But it almost became meaningless. You know, it was less than a day. It was 
insignificant in the whole scheme. In the whole scheme of things, and I was really proud of them. I, mm-hmm. I should I should have reacted better to that, but I was because I knew how hard it was for them. I mean, they had to work they had to work their butts off to get it to that point over time, and then it was that it, the hardening was insignificant. Yeah. So one thing I realized this morning is that I think hardening sprints are a painful artifact of the release plan process and having longer release cycles where your risk is higher so your angst is higher and everything which is why yesterday when we were talking that's why I want the release cycle to be as short as possible. But that's what you were saying And, and, and I was so you know we come into these metacasts sometimes wanting to strongly disagree and then after the discussion, we do, we do disagree on this slightly, right. but not as much, because one of the another one of the factors is your release cycle, and and like you said, I would never go into a shop. Let's say a shop is releasing uh, every two sprints, uh, monthly, mm-hmm. two two week sprints, and they're, and they're and they're capable. Whatever it is, they're capable of doing that. Uh, well, then hardening becomes in you know relative, not that significant. Or if they're if they have three week sprints, I worked in shops that had, they were uh, doing it monthly, mm-hmm. uh, and the, but it was really a three week sprint, and then they had a little bit of hardening, but it was it was insignificant because the you weren't s- stringing sprints along. I think you were saying that yesterday. Mm-hmm. The more sprints you string along without releasing code, you have this increasing what I would call technical test debt, right? Because we haven't run regression, but if you release every sprint. Well, then you've tested every sprint. Right. So you have no... Uh, the problem with technical test debt, it, and I think, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to talk yeah, down to you right or anything, it. but I, you test sprint one. Now we go into sprint two. We test the work for sprint two. The question is, how much of the regression for sprint one do we do? We go to sprint three, and which clearly we test the stories to done for sprint three. The question is, how much of sprint two and sprint one do we regression test? And if you skip some of that intelligently, Mm -hmm. you still have a responsibility in some context. Like if you're in a medical instruments field, you have a responsibility at some point to go back and do a full regression. Yeah, the the other angle that I was really hitting on this morning, a couple of us at work were talking about this, and we're delaying delivering customer value, right? We have done complete work that could make their lives better, and we're sitting on it. Right, so we're one. We're lengthening the feedback loop before they could get that. But number two, everything we talked about yesterday was let's focus on customer value, and we have customer value that we're just holding on to. And the, why but, not? But the flip side is though, and I'm not arguing. It's, it may sound that way, but they have to be able to receive it, Josh. Right. You can't. We can't dictate the customer's innate ability to receive change. Right, so you can't just shove it. We talked about Facebook yesterday, Face- and Google does this, and yeah. Facebook does this. But they have sort of, they have a weird customer base. It's a, I don't know if you have that same customer base. So they sort of have control. Like they can do it. They can do whatever they almost. They can do whatever they want to the customer. They can release multiple times per day, uh, and if they break something, well, then they'll fix it tomorrow. And they're not really that concerned about that impact to two million customers or something like that. They'll get over it. Mm-hmm. Right. So so they see that as a trade off and the customers tolerate that. The question is, what will your customers tolerate? Right. I mean if, and it's unique and you have to ask them. And they may not be able to tolerate. So you're right. It's like I want to shove value at you, but what is your ability? But is the value so if done appropriately, it should be validated that this is the most valued unit of work for our customers. And they have to have the ability 
to internalize it, right? Don't, would you agree with that? What does in what does internalizing a bit now and a bit later versus internalizing a larger chunk six weeks later? How does that change their ability to receive that change? So I use something called Zoho for managing my invoicing for my personal business. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a software as a service website. Right. Uh, I use that. I actively manage my invoicing, my billing, uh, and my expenses in Zoho. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they disrupt me, uh, it works for me now. I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty damn happy with the application. They they make changes to it. I I actually want them to. Uh, they they push production. They let me know they have release intervals. Uh, but I run my business with it. Uh, if they push software to me. Uh, it's you know there's nice to haves and it may or may not have, and I'm one customer out of whatever their customer base is. All I ask is please don't screw a good thing up from my point of view. Right. So don't over. So don't be Facebook. So if they treated me like Facebook treats their clients or Google treat. So in Google, I mean I can deal with Gmail turbulence, right? Because it's I'm not living. I'm not basing my business on deep Gmail turbulence. So I can tolerate it for a day or two, and then they'll fix it. And it'll, I might even not even notice it. Mm-hmm. But don't disrupt me. So I now, what is that interval? I don't know what that is. Uh, the other thing is learning curve. What if you drastically? And they've actually done this to me. They've moved things around. Yeah. They've changed the interface. Uh, and I know they had video. They provided videos and they provided training. But damn it, I want an intuitive interface. You know, I sit in there and I want to go through invoicing very quickly. And, and I would like it if the in- interface improved, but don't make me what relearn. Don't make don't make me sit there and scratch my head. So you want it to be the same forever? Not to, no no. But don't force me what every day while you're experimenting with user experience to what change the entire workflow on a daily basis or a weekly basis because it's going to slow. Put yourself in my place. Uh, you're you're running. Forget the need software and this this BS old value to client. I, I'm running my, put my hat on. I'm running my business on it. Right. So so now there is a tolerance. There is value, but it's what is the tempo? What is the tolerable tempo? And I'm just one of their clients, but I hope that they look at it and and they figure out what it, across their client mix what's an effective tempo. Right. And I all I'm arguing is I, I think there's too fast, and I think there's too slow, and there may be just right. Uh, and you're just right here at Dude may be different from what Google's just right or Facebook's just right or iContext's just right or something. Do you buy that or not? I struggle because that's... And as a developer, you want it faster, right? Don't right. you? Yeah. And I'm not even... As a developer and as a product, again, because I think our culture's ability to absorb multiple small changes over time versus fewer larger changes is higher. So I think there's a greater path to success by following that. It's scarier and I understand that from a product perspective and customer support perspective. Yeah. And, and even internally, right? Like we've worked somewhere where the development teams were agile but the rest of the company wasn't because they couldn't absorb it. And I would spend hours talking to people in training or documentation or whatever saying we're not asking you to do the same amount of work you did right. once every six months. Now do it once every two weeks. We're only asking you to do two weeks worth of work every two weeks instead of stacking it up and doing it at the end. Let's do a little bit. Correct. You do the same amount of work, just spread out a little bit more. I think you're impatient sometimes. What I'm arguing 
is just... Oh, I am impatient. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> all I'm saying is look at what is the tenor and then maybe nudge it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so ask your clients. So don't just assume. Don't don't. What I, what really bothers me is everyone thinks now that Facebook is the default model. Right. So I'm so now all these energetic young whippersnapper developers and product owners <laughs> and f- like folks like you, they run out and we're going to be Facebook. We're going to shove shit out at the customer on what five four times a day or weekly, and and they're looking at it myopically. And there's value in that. It's like well, there's value. I'm giving them value, and I'm going to get feedback. And there's all this goodness. But all I'm saying is, could you please stop for a second and ask your clients what they can tolerate? And is there a place where you can push it where it might the external pain might overwhelm the internal value, right? And you might alienate your clients, or you might not get the feedback that you wanted, or, or whatever. You may not. So, so ramp it up. So ramp it up, particularly in an organization that's, that's doing waterfall releases today. Imagine that mm-hmm. you're a client and you're getting this. That's in fact that client before that we were talking about, where we worked. What was the release tempo there? Eighteen months or something? About twelve, yeah. So let's say twelve. So now you're a client, eighteen months, and this whippersnapper comes to you and says, and really energetic with a good shtick and and good intentions, but it's like I'm going to give it to you every two weeks. I, I mean, so you're going to go from twelve months to two weeks. And think, just think about it from their point of view, and they have internal processes and stuff. No wonder it scares the crap out of them. Now, if you came to them and said maybe quarterly or something like that, maybe, so where is the sweet spot for that? So hardening is, it's back to top. Hardening is sort of that mitigation for that. And it is, you were right, I hate saying that, but you it's waste. Hardening is wasteful. The essence, that's why you want to drive it to zero. The essence of hardening is we didn't do it, we left stuff undone. Maybe another way of saying it is, is the iteration, the increment was not done. Right. Or our, or our definition of done wasn't complete was enough. Incomplete, it was incomplete yeah. because we're dragging stuff along. Right. Right. And, we're, and, and then we're going to complete it. From a product owner perspective, it breaks the rules. You heard me, I think I said it yesterday, talking about product ownership, that you want to get it in the bag. I maybe didn't say it clearly, but I sometimes talk about, you know, the increment at the end of every sprint should be sort of, you should be able to put it in on the shelf. Mm-hmm. It should, if you don't deploy it to a customer, you should, it should be ready to deploy to a customer. Well, hardening breaks that rule. Right. Because it's not. It's almost there, but it's not quite there. And, and you're going to go back and you're going to polish and it. And also you put stuff on the shelf and it starts to collect dust. It right? starts so to how, collect how, dust. how long do you leave it on that shelf? The longer it's on that shelf, which is, again, why I'm trying to squeeze everything it's as short tension, as possible. It's this tension, right? It's this tension. Yeah. It, it has, it, it's Actually, from a, from a lean perspective, I mean, waste, you nailed it. Uh, so when does I, sometimes in classes I talk about cars, when do you get the valuation for a car? You don't get it when the doors are on or when it's painted or the body's painted. You get it when the car rolls off the assembly line. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, so the more you, the, the throughput is, I want to accelerate. So you don't get value for the car, <laughs> partial credit, right. until it rolls off the assembly line and it's completely what you can throw it on a boat, right? And you can you can sell it. Well, that's that same thing. And the longer it's on the boat, the longer it's in pieces. The longer, you know, oh, I'm working on the body. I've painted 100,000 bodies, but they don't have engines in them. Right. There's no value there. There's, it's just partial. It's just this p- sort of partial deliverable. So you're, you're absolutely right. 
can, let's talk about context where you would be more amenable to hardening. Uh, not be, you would never, you would never support it. <laughs> you would never. I know that. But is there? When I say context, I would never be happy about it. Doesn't mean I wouldn't do it. That's I just true. Be happy. You would. Well, you wouldn't be happy. There's a lot of things. It's hard to make you happy. Uh, but what are some? Con- and what I mean by context is like business domains. So healthcare, uh, IBM enterprise systems, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. You could envision in that domain that hardening might be somewhat okay. So, so what what about those domains makes it acceptable? More acceptable. That so to me just naming those like okay yeah those are big company names. So I'm just mining what you does for that, where in your brain. Right, so that's where I that's what I'm trying to come up with like what are the the definitive characteristics of those domains where I would say yeah, okay, we can deal with this. So I'd say enterprises. Places that are doing enterprise software hundreds of products. So Blue Cross Blue Shield has an IT department probably with a hundred apps that they're supporting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the question would be, do they, do they, every time you have a user story complete on an app, do you push it or do you what, have some kind of phasing for that? Uh, Salesforce.com does hardening. Uh, they have a notion of seasonal releases. So they release trains and things like that. So Salesforce enterprise level productions, even software as a service. I'm just throwing things out there. Hard medical systems typically have hardening. Uh, pharmaceuticals, because of regulations, banks, uh, Deutsche Bank, I know, they would accumulate, because every time you, re- if you release a story in those environments, I don't know if you know FDA and, and SOX compliance regulations, but if you released one story in an app, you have to run a full regression test on the app. Mm-hmm. So, if What if you have that? Automated to where that can be done on a daily basis. It, then, then you can you can push it, but in those domains, it literally those those very rarely do they have full automation. Right. It's usually a combination of seventy percent automation and thirty percent manual tests, and those manual tests might take a team of twenty. Uh, they're not to, automated because they're crazy hard. Yeah, right? or you well, haven't like we had issues at my last company where. We had so many bugs with our video player because we were news apps, right. right? And we hadn't figured out how to test the video player. It isn't even worth it, right? You know, you can manually test it. You get into these worth equations where you know what would be what would be the technology and the level of effort to to automate that versus manually doing it. Uh, but that's the kinds of domains. Regulation is a typical excuse. Uh, I was talking to. Uh, I like the wording excuse. It is. But you know what? It's it's really it, and in fact the regulators aren't. They're not saying, they're not telling you when to release. They're just right. simply saying if you release a piece they're of functionality to harder. a client, there's another step. All they're saying is, damn it, this is hard stuff. Make sure you didn't break anything. Right. Right. Make sure you don't. If you if you're you know if it's X-ray software, make sure that when it, you can change the the biggest bit or the littlest bit that you want, you can work on it for a day or a minute or a, a month. But when you deploy new software to the x-ray machine, make sure you run a full regression test and that you can compare the previous thing that you qualified fully mm-hmm. to the thing that you've just released. Yeah, my, So as we've been talking about this, I think what bothers me is there's still enough waterfall momentum in people's brains or leftover noise in people's brains that they default to larger rather than smaller. And I think 
that's a habit we need to try and break. That let's not make the problem bigger when we try and solve it because we're afraid of these things. Let's make it smaller and it'll be easier to solve, right? That's that whole waterfall and agile shift of we're doing this big project, we're doing a small right. project. But I feel like even when people put agile in place and things like that come up and there's a new gate that the reaction is, well, let's do that less often because it's harder. When I think the most appropriate reaction is, let's do it more often because it's harder and get better at it, which is one of the reasons we're doing a single week sprint now as we're trying to get up and running is it forces us to do the hard bits more often and get better at it. So that, to me, that's the one thing that if we could find a way to change that reaction... I think we'd be in a better spot. I just think it's whippersnapper syndrome. So what I mean, you sound like Ron Jeffries. So and he's an old agile guy, but he 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 aligns very much with what you're saying. From Ron Jeffries' perspective, there would never be a domain or a context on the planet Earth that would require hardening to slap it out there. And he sounds very much like you. Uh, and what aggravates me about Ron, not about you. Yeah. Right is that I'm like, I could put him in businesses and either people would shoot him or they'd fire him because he, his context would be so, it's not that he's wrong, it would be so disjointed from the reality of Blue Cross Blue Shield, mm -hmm. where they're at now. I mean, literally, he would ignore that. He would say, well, we're going to automate everything now. <laughs> okay? Stop the presses and we're right. going to automate. And it would be so disconnected from the business reality that it would never fly. Uh, ever, even if you had, even if every vice president was what agile, their brains were agile. In that context, he would be very extreme, and you sound like that. Now, part of that is good. You want people that push the organization, mm -hmm. right? I like that, so I respect a part of what he's saying and what you're saying from the point of view. You you want nudges, you want people. I want that on my agile teams, but the further it's disconnected from the reality on the ground, it it's not. It it loses its it's not pushing. It's what it's 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 like nonsense. It's like it's not re, it's not reality. So the question is, how do you get it to the point where we're we're releasing as frequently as we possibly can? We have this goal, but darn it, Josh, connected to the reality on yeah. the ground. So I think the thing that I try and do here is I try and lead with that vision of let's do it as often as possible. I get that we're not here right now, but the angle that I'm playing is okay if we do four weeks or four four sprints or six sprints or whatever that's not good enough right we'll do that but we're not gonna like that's not the standard that we're setting I want to say we're gonna do that but we're not gonna be complacent we're gonna keep trying to shrink well, absolutely the other thing that I think and Ron wouldn't do this is Ron just sits there and says we'll just do it that's lean that's agile so he, he almost doesn't look at level of complexity, right? right. Uh, he trivializes it. Again, I want visionaries. Part of being a visionary is ignoring the technical details mm -hmm. and just pushing. But it, there has to be this sort of, it, there, it can't be so far off. Right. It'd be like going to the U.S. government and saying, what, gov, you, what is it, uh, Obamacare.gov or whatever, and saying, I want you to go from whatever you're doing today to uh, what, minutely releases or something. Right. It, it's, there's no reality there. So, but the other thing is helping the organization move. Like here, I would recommend to you, uh, go to the sales department and help them figure out how to talk to customers and leverage moving from a, I don't know what your, your current release tempo is, mm -hmm. but you're going to go to monthly, let's say. 
well, help them to figure out how to, because their brains aren't wrapped around that. Their brains are wrapped around whatever it is today. Right. That they're accustomed to that. Your, your help desk, they're going to, their brains are going to explode because they're going to like crap every two weeks. I'm going to get a new raft if they if they monitor the calls. They're going to get this huge burp of calls based on training, mm-hmm. etc. The value you, you say value, they look at it as like problem or what right. training right. on the fly training. So help them to get over that hurdle, um, and and not just not just do it indirectly by throwing software out there and saying figure it out. We're agile, mm-hmm. and and that's not your plan. Right, yeah. But that really so help the organization figure that out. Uh, and then I think they start seeing the value proposition themselves and they start selling it. I think you know I, I, a better way to do it, no, it's not better. I mean, you need champions like you pushing. But another cool way is what if they start, wouldn't it be cool at some point if the organization starts asking for things faster too? You, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, that'd be a great problem to have. Well, no, no, because, and because no, they, honestly, one, they've seen the value and two, yeah. they've figured out how to reduce their processes so it's not instead of having you push it and then they have pain and pain reduction they're almost pre-pain reducing right and they're saying we're ready so you're doing we're doing monthly today we've actually looked ahead as we we like it Mm -hmm. and we've done whatever it takes so now we could handle it every two weeks right now yeah and that's where at teradata we hit that wall right and that's why i ended up leaving because i couldn't get that change to happen that's that's what i'm saying elsewhere at my last job we got there and we got to that point where I'm like, hey, we're going as fast as we can right now. I, you know, Does technology, I mean, you were doing mobile in your last job and Teradata was what very large scale databases. So that's another one of those domain things I'm talking about sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Because not every business, so the mobile environment or your, one, you had a small team. I think it was the mobile market, right? The mobile market doesn't <clears throat> slow down, whereas the large CRM system... I can't even system, imagine doing that, like yearly releases in the, in the mobile market. Yeah, well, that's what we had done, and that's why I was hired, right? Because we were doing releases once a year, and our customers were unhappy. Yeah. So they hired me to build a team to fix that. And yeah. we fixed that, just to be competitive, just to be where we should have been a couple years ago, yeah. you know? So we had no choice. It was do or die there. So that market required it. What about experimentation? Maybe, uh, and I'm, I don't want to keep the Medicast going, but a lot of times when we're talking about hardening or these releases, it's every customer gets it, uh, and there's pushback because mm-hmm. every customer gets it. But another part of incremental, very fast releases is what about giving it to a subset of clients? Right. So, and, and the point there is clearly you tell them they're getting it. They may be getting volatile or new stuff, but the point is high value, and high feedback. Mm-hmm. We want we want your feedback. Give it to us now. Uh, that's another. Uh, I would change my hardening rules because that changes the quality proposition. Right. That changes even in a regulated environment. You could maybe finesse it and say like, don't use the X-ray. This is only use it on goats. Don't yeah. use it on people. Or so I'm kidding. But uh, goat <laughs> goat lovers in the audience, please don't shoot me. But. You can you could change the sort of the criteria around the release. Yeah, that's something that we're looking at, and I you know I'm going to bring up the Facebook word again, but the way that they operate that is they dog food. So everybody inside of the company uses the next version that's yeah. going to be deployed. Yeah. Right. So they're just they're getting feedback from a subset of customers. Yeah. Granted, it's internal, so this is not the best, not the truest. But now you have this users. dual approach of you have a very quick production, as quick as you can tolerate production releases. But in places where you want a, a what an ultra 
high bandwidth feedback loop, mm -hmm. you can do this, what, subsets or internal dog fooding right. or beta programs or something like that. Weren't you experimenting that at Step Leader? Yeah, we we had been using Test Flight and a couple tools like that, and a couple of our customers were on an advisory council that they would they would do that, and we actually, all of the people on our team had what whatever the last build was. So if we just checked in code and it was built and you opened the app, it would check and see if there was a newer version. If so, it was pull it down. Just so that way, we were, grantedly, a very small, but we were dog fooding as best we could. So, But it was the automation that made that happen because we had web page posted with, yeah. hey, here's the latest version. Yeah. People never got it. We had it where you where it was on your phone, but you had to go get the latest version. But it never really took off until it automatically pulled the latest version. That's when, when people didn't have to think about it, that's when it really became a useful practice for us. I mean, the, the, the driver for me, and I don't go into an organization with hardening tattooed on my arm, because I actually would prefer not to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, the primary driver, whenever I've installed hardening, if you will, is always automation or mm -hmm. tooling. If that makes, I think we're we're resonating with that. Yeah. It's always it's always been a tooling gap, where we had manual, we had very little automation uh, to to no automation, and we were building the tooling. And in the interim, while we were building the tooling, and it wasn't just tools. It was what virtual. It was virtual environments. It was spinning up test data mm -hmm. was a real challenge in some of those environments. Uh, performance having hardware or or mirroring production. So, so it was a non-trivial problem, and it took us time to figure that out. And hardening was sort of the the, the pause or the waste mm -hmm. place to, to figure that out. And then as we built that up, there was a curve, like I was saying. We would build up automation and tooling and capability, and then hardening would reduce over time. Mm -hmm. I would love to come into an environment where you could build the infrastructure. Like if we were building the infrastructure, let's say a Greenfield project, and right. you're building automation on the fly, I would you would never need a heart in that context. Yeah, and that's that's the opportunity we have here, right? There's zero excuse for us. So you should so you have, you should have a hardening. So if that's your if that's your context, then shame on you if you would, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and it would be a bad thing to introduce it. Right. Right, because you're you're almost throwing in the towel. You're right. like giving it a get out of jail free card. Yeah, which is why I get so twitchy about it whenever it yeah. comes up here. I'm like, "No, we can't even I agree. I agree 100%. You know, because that's the thing that I've said to every person that we've hired or talked to is like we have zero excuse, Absolutely. right? Because we get to if that's your context, you, you, yeah. you need to build good stuff and just and you, so don't even think about it. It's right. it's not an issue. There's no reason. There's no rationale for it. I hate that this Medicare sucked from some degree. You know that. I was hoping that this topic would drive more. I really wanted to fight with you. Uh, well, we could turn off the microphone and just arm wrestle. No, but it's I, I and again we have differences of opinion, but I think we aligned again to yeah. a great degree. It, it's sort of I'm not trying to put words in, but it has its place. Mm -hmm. It's a bad place, it, but it has its place. And you, and it, if you were in a in a company or context where you needed it, you would apply it. Mm -hmm. Now I think you would be more impatient. <laughs> The one thing I wouldn't do is I wouldn't label it, right? Is I don't label it hardening. I don't give it its own sprint. So what would you do? So I you just throw stories in a backlog which are related to that, amongst other things, and then you would Jeffries would like that. Yeah, because the fear I have is that is that that is then a model that gets no. left in place and it has weight and it's hard to get rid. See, of. See, and I don't worry about it because 
I, I require thinking people and myself, and I, I'm not going to get hung up on, oh, we'll just leave it there forever, in per- right. perpetuity and stuff. But you're, but I'm rare that way. Yeah. A lot of folks, if you have that built into the tempo, you can come back 10 years later, and it's still there. Yeah. And people have stopped thinking. I like that. The, Jeffries would say that. You you actually see that in the, in the stricter people in the scrum community when they talk about hardening in some of these uh, harder contexts, that it's not a sprint. They don't like labeling it a hardening sprint, mm-hmm. uh, but they talk about putting that sort of work on a backlog. You might change the the theme of the sprint. So the theme of the sprint could be hard, whatever word you want to use. Right. Uh, so sprints have goals and themes. Yeah. So our sprint goal was ship it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Or or ship it plus build up the infrastructure so we mm-hmm. ship it faster the right. next time. Yeah, the biggest thing that we had to do because at first we didn't we didn't build the story, so the product team of which I was a part of didn't see that, didn't have visibility, and then well, hey, why are we slower? Yeah. You know, so that was partially my fault. Um, but that's why we put in like, hey, this is plus we just wanted to know, right? Like, yeah. how much time are we actually spending doing this? You know what? I like your time. I mean, it's not that I haven't measured the velocity. I have been. Maybe you're making me think about this notion of labeling the sprint, having it be a container where you throw crap into. It's, we're going to do the two weeks no matter what. It's mm-hmm. a hardening sprint. Uh, now I want people to think, but I actually think it, it is conducive to bad behavior. Mm-hmm. And and putting stories in, estimating the stories, sizing them, doing sprint planning, prioritization, right? Thinking, strategizing. Uh, I may change the way, and I think we were talking yesterday about safe, and safe in safe 2.5 there were hip sprints, which were hardening in, uh, innovation and planning sprints, and they were two weeks in length, and they removed the hardening from it in, in safe 3.0, and they talked about sprinkling it. I think you don't remove the activity. If right. you need it, you need it right. in order to do a good release. I think what they're really saying is sprinkling them wherever it's appropriate, and we're right. not going to call out the H word. Mm-hmm. We're just going to do five sprints and release, mm-hmm. or whatever it is, four sprints and release, five sprints and release. Now, oh, by the way, that last sprint is slightly different, but it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card because it has hardening in the name. Yeah, we, we, we averaged about 100 points a sprint, and like I said, our our shipping epics were usually about 30 points. Yeah. So depending on where things were, as we were planning that sprint, if we had wrapped everything up, then yep. that 30 points was the first part of that sprint. Yep. But if we still had some work to do, the question was, okay, yeah. are we really going to be able to release? Because we have 70 points left over. Do we have 70 points worth of work? I, I, like that. I really like that strategy because as I'm thinking back into how we behaved, that wasn't our intent, but the real behavior, I think, was more wasteful. Right. That people looked at it as like it's a hardening sprint. you know. And I wanted folks, if you have extra capacity, then put in what other things. Right. Right, you could put in infrastructure development. You could put in bug fixes or whatever, but I don't think when it's labeled as a container like that, I don't know if that I don't know if we filled the sprint that way, rather than having what wasteful testing expand to fill the right. boundary of the of the sprint. Yeah. Now the, the the one thing that I am sensitive to because I know that my personality is different than a lot of folks that when we're done with product project A, I'm like. Okay, we're done. What's next? Right, bring it on. Whereas there are some folks that like need like just a little breath. Like, hey, just let us breathe for a minute, and then we'll get back in. Because I'm like, what's next? What's next? Right. Let's, let's just keep rolling. Um, but I do know that there's a cadence that 
that I've worked on over the past couple of years to try and infuse a little bit of that of take a quick breather or it's like you're swimming right so you're swimming really hard you come up for a breath and then you go back in and there's some folks that need a longer breath and some folks that don't by never ever that hip sprint that Safe talks about is sort of a break it can be so you could actually add another word and call it break or breath right and you want to intend if individuals or teams need a two day breath you could have it has some space to do that as opposed to not having it I mean I've seen teams to your point I think burn out right they never there's no breaks you know, every, you know, they're releasing on a month, let's say, every four sprints. So two-week sprints, Monday to Friday, they release after four sprints, and then they start. They don't start planning the next release. They dive in to, on Monday morning, they're in the next release. Well, my goal is that, like we've talked about, that there is no release planning. It's that it never ends, right? And we're just continually grooming what's next. And the shorter that release cycle is, the more easy that is to do as opposed to hitting the brakes and saying, okay, we got to stop, we got to plan, we got to figure this out, and then go. I would rather do it along the way. But that's harder with a longer release cycle. I, 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 don't, I, I see value, again, we disagree. Mm-hmm. I see value in the release planning. Uh, I like pre-safe. You know how I feel about safe. I'm not a, right. I'm, I struggle with safe, but one of the aspects of safe or things that it does that I like is this notion of a one-day or a two-day release planning event. And independent of lean, waste, not waste, getting, and I'm not talking about it in the context of like a little team, like one team, mm-hmm. but if but I've seen like 10 teams, you're trying to get 10 teams to contribute to a product and a quarterly release. Getting everyone on the same page with the vision, the mission, the goals, the individual, how we're going to build, how each team is going to be contributing code to this release point, uh, what are we going to demo each each sprint? What are we going to demo? What's our goal for usability at the end? Uh, having having everyone plan and get lined up, however long that takes, is incredibly valuable at scale, and that's what Safe is doing. Is is that release planning event? Is now I can see you you know you want to sort of get into this iterative mm-hmm. chunk, but that's a small team. You know, if I'm doing mobile and small teams, then yes, do that. But if I'm doing large, chunky releases of things, uh, I'll bring up, again, Salesforce does this, that they don't call it safe, they don't call it a potentially a PSI uh, planning event, but getting folks together uh, and, and looking at it at a high level mm-hmm. and looking at it from a risk point of view and a flow and a cross-team dependency point of view and an architecture point of view and a release point of view and a quality, you know, if we're in a regulated environment, that's to me that's incredibly valuable. So you you may as you grow here right. get some of that experience. Did Teradata do that? See, yeah, I well, I mean, I don't know what Teradata did. I forget what they. We planned like it was waterfall, right? We so you did this remember huge, all that, but whole. you were committing. You were planning not for. See, I'm not talking about planning for management. I mean, it has that side effect. I'm talking about planning for the team. The, the planning, getting you know, getting the team to sort of figure out, getting them space to figure out their strategy. The right. teams is is really what I find valuable. The side effect of management is you may be able to what have a forecast, right? But I, to me, the the real benefit is the team. Now I have ten people who could be living in different places in the world, or ten teams, but they sort of understand the big picture and what part they play, and mm-hmm. then how we coalesce a release. That's off topic, though. Did we cover, so 
do you still back to hardening? Mm -hmm. Still hate it? Yeah. You I do. You've changed my view. You've influenced my view a little bit. Um, yeah, it's 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 not a blind. I hate it, so we're never going to do it. It's a reluctant. All right, we'll deal with it, but we need to make it go away as fast as possible. I like your passion. I like your passion, Josh, and I'm not. Yeah. I'm not schmoozing. I like you. Need drivers. You you need folks who push organizations. Right. Uh, now, if everyone here did that, uh, then you would have this this tension. You know, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so you you need all types. You need you need folks who are who are pushing that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and also it's principle based. I mean, I think the the key takeaway for me is that label created probably unintentional waste. Mm -hmm. from a team perspective and, and I, the change I'll probably make is do more workflow packaging uh, and just sprint flow right? rather than having you know containers or something like that even planning so if we took innovation if we took a hip sprint from save well if hardening and then what innovation which would be like hackathon course sorts of stuff or innovative stories mm -hmm. and if you took planning you can make the argument that there should never be an event you can be you can be sprinkling the, all of that activity yeah. in a backlog. Now the innovation is one of those things that, in many places, gets shoved to the bottom, right? That folks just want it to happen magically, and they're willing to pay the price to give the teams the ability to do that. And Google with their twenty percent time, and then they took it away. And hackathons and FedEx days, and whatever you want to call them. There's a lot of stuff going around there. I'll, I'll be honest, one of the reasons I like hardening and release trains is, how do I say this and still sound like a good adjunct, <laughs> there's fluff there to inject, to have opportunistic things in teams. So we leveraged, because we had a hardening placeholder, mm -hmm. we used it for, so if we were behind in planning for the next release, we could use it for grooming and f for spiking. Mm -hmm. uh, if we put our innovation days in there. Uh, if a team was burning out, uh, it, we did. We could actually give them a break right. there. So we created space in the release tempo that we could intelligently use. Now you're going to get up on your high horse and say, "Well, that's that's waste." Well, no, and but it, it is waste. It is waste. It is I, and it isn't because if you don't do that, so I think some of those things are waste. Some of them aren't. So it's more wasteful to burn out a team. Yeah. Right. So it's things like that, and that's where and the, and I was talking about where I'm yeah. like, let's just let's not. But having down, that space, and, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But you could call it George. You could call it Harry. Yeah. I don't care what you call it. But having that space that can be flexible, even as the team matures, right. then you're getting now you have space that you can leverage for automation, whatever it is. Yeah. You have space. I will say that having that space is invaluable. Yeah. So it's that concept of taking a breath, right, that I need to find a but way to... But not saying it's a breath, oh, it's a breath sprint. Right. You don't label it that way, right. or a bug fix sprint, don't label it that way, or a yeah. hardening sprint. But, yeah. But whatever you label it, or right. however you... We are taking a breath. Yeah. Right, and... But to me, it's not a whole sprint, it's... Whatever, however you... Whatever that thing Creating is, right? space yeah. in, in release tempo is a really good thing. I, yeah. I will say that. Yeah, because I think if you don't, then you're generating debt and waste or yeah. debt that turns into waste. And it goes back to your point, I mean, forget everything else from business, just even team burnout and, right. and team the team morale and team attrition, that's that that to me is a valuable reason for creating or sort of holding on to that space. Cool. Did we cover it? We did. Metacasters, we did. Uh, I want to ask you for feedback. 
The other thing that I've been thinking about lately, and Josh and I haven't talked about, I'm going to surprise you, but we've talked about it months ago, uh, but if we could get uh, guest speakers, we would like to this year, or at the end of this, you know, in, into 2014, maybe 2015, do some uh, three-way, or Josh would, would be, you know, pairing, mm-hmm. and we could do some metacast with some guest speakers. What would be great is if you could suggest some names that you'd like to hear us interview. We did do uh, David Hussman and... Trisha Broderick. Trisha Broderick, and I think that went... They did go well. Well, not only that, they liked it, uh, mm-hmm. so we could build on that. So I'd love to do that. I'm just looking for names and topics and suggestions, and if you'd like to hear... Give poor Josh a break and say, Bob, why don't you let Josh, why don't you just go sleep it off And because uh, you never give him a word in edgewise and have him talk to someone else. So you could suggest like pairs and say, Josh, could you talk to someone who does mobile? That would be a great metacast. So suggest pairs, couplings, topics, and guest speakers. And I think that would be a really interesting thing to do. It would be. A little twist. I will throw a separate blog post out there just to try and get some... And, 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 and I, I think we could do a good job of that. And I think mm-hmm. folks would. I think the Metacasters would like it. I think you and I would like it. Yeah. Uh, we'd meet some new people, and that would be great. Uh, how do folks get a hold of us, Josh? Well, Bob, that's interesting. That's a very good question. I'm not sure. Well, it's Meta Hyphen Cast. So we're on. We're on Twitter. Uh, Twitter. We're on. We're on. What is that? That book. We're on Mirror Book. Uh, <laughs> Gosh. Yes, so we have our website. Hopefully you know it, Metacast, with a hyphen between the A and the C, metacast.com. I'm on Twitter, yeah, we're Meta, Meta-Cast. Look what you've done to me. Meta-Cast, all spelled out. Facebook, we're there. iTunes, we're there. Please review us, rate us, whatever you can, because the more you do that, the more visibility we get and the more people we can help. Because, again, that's our goal is to just help folks out there. And people are listening. We've said yes. that in the list. But I'm, I, I continue to get folks. We're getting more, I don't know, more likes. But beyond that, I'm getting more inquiries or just conversations uh, that folks are like, you know, they're paying attention to the Metacast, which always you know, delights me and inspires me. And not only that, but they're getting stuff from it, which is mm-hmm. the, really the point. So please keep that up. So from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, we are done. I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake. And bake. Take care, y'all.